Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. All right. Good to be with you all this morning. Um, as we continue our series here at Washington, if you're new or visiting with us, we've been, um, the Lord's given us this new vision. We've been teaching through this vision, and we're at a point in the vision where it talks about healing. And the vision statement actually says to cultivate a space for healing, and so that's what the Lord's called us into. Um, and so we're teaching through healing, uh, healing stories. Next week, we're going to take a look at what Jesus does and how Jesus, the different ways that Jesus heals people, um, specifically from the scriptures. But... Um, I want to start this morning with a story from the Old Testament. If you guys are familiar with the history of Israel, um, Israel is not obedient to the Lord, and they are taken into exile into Babylon. Um, And they're there for a period of time, and then when uh, the Lord begins to to draw them out, um, Ezra and Nehemiah, these two men of God, um, feel called to go back to the Promised Land. And not everybody goes back, but they go back and they take a group of people with them, And when they go back, um, their goal is to rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple that was destroyed and decimated by the um, invading groups at the time, uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And as they begin to rebuild the wall, there's a verse in Nehemiah, it's it's, um, 4.10, and they discover that before they can rebuild the wall and do what God has asked them to do, it says that they had to remove the rubble around the wall in order to rebuild the wall. And that's kind of a common sense thing that, you know, it's like, yeah, and if you've ever done construction, one of the things you have to do is tear things apart, and often you have to tear things, um, you have to make things worse before you make things better, uh, whether it's a, a car project or a home project, that's usually the case. And as we talk about healing this morning, what I'm realizing is there's rubble around the wall that needs to be removed before the wall can be re- rebuilt. And so this morning, I want to enter into that, and I want to begin to, to bring up some of the rubble that exists, I think, around the wall in our theology of healing um, that is oftentimes unhealthy. And it, 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 this is a process that I am going through right now, so I'm, and part of it is just sharing my own process, but I, I'm assuming I'm not alone. Um, and if you grew up in the church and you grew up in a church that didn't believe in healing or didn't believe that God desires to still heal today, then then I would say you have rubble that you have to remove as well. And so we're going to take a look at some things in uh, theologies that we we pick up, that we believe, that we carry with us. And a lot of these theologies are developed not from God's Word, but from our own personal struggle and wrestling with life and being a human. Um, And so we're going to look at those and we're going to see where where the Lord takes us. But um, there's some this morning that this is going to be a message where you go, yeah, of course. And for others, it's going to be, I need to think about that. I need to wrestle with that. Maybe I do have some rubble that needs to to be removed. Um, And uh, we're going to look at uh, a scripture passage that is one of the handful of scripture passages um, in God's word that scares me when I read it. Um, It frightens me. It's one of those things I I think about at night and and I wrestle with. Um, And so it's good to, to... open those passages and to struggle through those. But for those who, who uh, need to work on becoming open to the healing power of God 
in today's world. Um, I, I entitled this message, Healing Our Theology of Healing. So that's what we're going to try and do. Because if that's what God has called us into, then we need to figure out what that means and how do we begin to move into that. Because if God has called us into it, that means it's for today. And we have to believe that that's the case. So in Mark chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. Open your Bibles and join me there, if you will. Um, This is what the Word of God says to us. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So we have this story that Jesus is going on and around, and this is Mark chapter 6, and Mark doesn't have that many chapters, so he's already been actively serving, he's been actively healing people, he's cast demons out of people, he's made lame walk, blind people see, he's done great things around the Galilean region. His, most of his ministry was in the north of the Galilean region, and eventually he goes down to Jerusalem where he, he sacrifices his life on our behalf so that we could be made whole. But he's up in Galilee, and he returns home. And we all have those returning home moments, I think, in life. Where if you've ever gone someplace, or, or you've gone through a transformation process in your own life, and you come back to home, and home can feel like, like this struggle between life as, as it used to be, but you are not the same as you used to be, if you know what I'm talking about. So if you've gone away to college and come back after that first semester, there's more change that's happened in you than you probably realized, or you've gone on a mission trip, or something that's significant in life, and you come back to the everydayness of life where you're with your parents and you're with um, your brothers and your sisters. And, and oftentimes, I don't know about you, but there's a sense of it's easy to fall back into the routine of that, of what used to be. And I think some of that is happening here for the people of Nazareth, not for Jesus. And so Jesus comes to Nazareth, and he's in this place, and this shocking statement is made, and it says that he could do no more healings or miracles because of the lack of faith of the people there. That's a scary thought to me. Before we can get into taking the rubble away, or a part, I think, of taking the rubble away is is coming to a healthy theology of what does God see and what does God think about healing for today. And the idea of healing is not something that just comes with Jesus. Actually, it, it is, uh, is all over the Old Testament. Um, but one of the scripture passages that we need to start with is the end. Because if we know what, what the end looks like, then we can kind of reverse engineer this process and to see what God wants today to look like in 2022, on May 1st in Toledo, Ohio. And so in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So this is at the end. This is after Jesus comes um, in glory and at the second coming, what is the theologians call the second coming, probably at the end of the age. 
And this is when everything wraps up. This is when we get a new heaven and a new earth. And in that space, we clearly see that things aren't like they are now. That in God's heart and God's desire and God's will, God makes everything the way God wants it to be. And in that way, we, we see there's no more sin. There's no more suffering. There's no more tears that are being shed. There's no more achy joints or frustrated mornings getting out of bed. There's no emotional trauma that is left anymore. There's no anxiety. There's no more fear. There's no more all those things that we seem to live with on a daily basis as human beings that is hurtful and harmful to us is gone. And that's what John in the book of Revelation calls the old order of things. And so we have an old order of things that exists, and I think we live in that old order of things. We live in that tension of the old order of things right now. But it seems like God doesn't desire, desires that the old order of things are gone. See, the old order of things come because of sin. Sin is the root. Sin is the cause. Sin is the source of all of that, all of that pain and that suffering that exists. It exists because of sin. And when, you be, when a new heaven and a new earth comes and Christ reigns in full glory and the kingdom is fully manifested, sin is no longer on the board anymore. It's been removed and taken off. And we see that he says, you know, death, where is your sting? Sin is gone. So that's what, that's what the end looks like. That's what God wants to have happen. That's what heaven and earth coming together looks like. That's what being in the presence of God is. Now, that's not just the end, though. So we look at, at different passages. Matthew 6, 10. The disciples ask Jesus one question primarily. They ask him to, cheat, they ask him to teach them one main thing that's written in the scriptures. I'm sure they asked him many, many things, but one thing is recorded. One thing that Matthew writes down, one thing that Luke writes down, and that is teach us how to pray. How, how, Jesus, how should we be praying? Because they probably looked at the life of Jesus, and it's not like they weren't praying, but they saw that how he prayed was different. And they saw that how what he prayed for came to pass, and so they wanted to know, how do we pray like you so that what we are desiring also comes to pass? And one of the things he says in there is this. He says, pray that your, your kingdom, pray to God, pray to the Father, that, Father, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying to his disciples and therefore saying to us, I want you to pray in such a way that literally earth would begin to look like heaven. And that should be the way you should function. That should be your heart's desire. So what does that look like? I don't know. We look to heaven and we think, what does heaven look like? It looks like this. Does it look like that here? No. Okay, how do we begin to pray? How do we begin to call on God and almost drag heaven into earth? And so things begin to change. And I think part of the challenge there is as believers, we don't necessarily think we could do that. We don't realize the power and the authority that we've been given through Christ to do that. Because Christ is with us. Another scripture passage, Psalm 103, 1 through 3, and there's so many more. I cut out all kinds of, of scripture passages in the Old Testament um, that over and over again, and the prophets speak of these things. So this is, this, in a daily quiet time, I, I wrote them all out um, so you can see them. If you don't get the daily quiet time material, or you just want to see it for this week, if you're visiting, you can email the church office or ask the person who brought you or you came with, and we'll just send it to you. Um, and you can read more about this, but Psalm 103, 1 through 3 says this, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. So the benefits of being in relationship with God are your sins are being forgiven and healing is taking place. And this is something that God talked about and told his prophets about, told his people about. This is not a new idea. This doesn't come with Jesus. It's just on display with Jesus in a magnitude that we'd not seen it ever before in the people of their times. And we see at the end that Revelation talks about this and that God's, the heart of God is that everything would be restored and healed the way that God intended it to be. But the beauty and the challenge is that we don't have to wait for heaven to experience those things. But we live in this tension, like I talked about last week, of the already and the not yet. And so we get frustrated with it as believers because it's not this one-for-one thing. I wish it were. I can tell you I've prayed for more people around healing and seen nothing than I've prayed for people and seen them healed. But I've seen both. And that keeps me going. But one of the things that, that is absolutely fascinating to me that I was working on this week is, is, we, is that when God walks with the Hebrew people after he brings them out of Egypt, that exile, and they're in the wilderness for 40 years, there is zero record of them having any sickness or illness in a 40-year span. Zero. Outside of the moments where they sin, they do something wrong, and then God heals them. But when they're living their life, when they're following the Lord, when their eyes are on the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, no sickness at all. In fact, in Exodus 15, God actually introduces himself to this group of people for the first time under the name of Jehovah Rapha, which means the God who heals. He could have picked a number of names. If you ever want to do a study on the names of God, it tells you a great deal. And God could have chosen any name. He revealed Yahweh to Moses. Moses goes down to Egypt, brings the people out, and God decides, I'm going to introduce myself to them as the God who heals. Because that's what had to happen to them. They needed healing as they came out as slaves because they had a slavery mentality that needed to be healed. But God provided for them and cared for them and took care of them. Their bodies, their souls, as he molded them into the people of God that were going to enter into the promised land. Back to Mark 6, verse 5, it says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. It's interesting that word amazed shows up earlier when it talks about the people of Nazareth that were amazed at Jesus. And that word in the Greek is the same word, and I think Mark is trying to play on that. In one amazement, there's a lack of faith or there's a lack of understanding. In the other amazement, Jesus is blown away by the fact that they just don't get it. And they're struggling. The people believed in miracles and healing at this time as well. That's the irony of all of it. Miracles and healing didn't come exclusively with Jesus. There's records of rabbis laying hands on people, powerful men of God, and they were healed. We look at the Old Testament, we see prophets who prayed for people and and even raised people from the dead. So Jesus wasn't the first to do these things. And that was embedded in the culture because they believed in a God that did powerful things. But here's the difference. It was Jesus, this kid they knew, who they saw growing up. There's that old saying that familiarity breeds contempt. And I wonder if that's what was happening here. See, you look at the text and it's very evident. They say, isn't this the one, isn't it, we know Mary Isn't this the carpenter's son? We know his siblings. And there's something about that commonality of things. 
that when something shifts or changes, when this kid who grew up in, in Nazareth begins to lay hands on people and they're healed, and he begins to cast demons out of people and he does miraculous things, and they can't seem to wrap their minds around it because they've created a box and an understanding of what God is like, and this person of Jesus didn't fit in that box. And so because of that, they weren't able to experience the power of God moving through Jesus the Christ. And that when God stood before them, they failed to see it. In the same way the Pharisees who studied the scriptures failed to see who Jesus truly was. So the issue was not that Jesus couldn't do anything. It was not a lack on his part. But the people there had no faith. And so Jesus literally left. That's a scary proposition. And we learn many things about this. We, we learn about miraculous things and healings and that faith is directly tied into this. There's something about faith that is crucial to the movement of God. That God desires, that God longs for, that God looks at his people and he, he looks for it. We see in other scripture passages before this, uh, in Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 2, where people come to Jesus and it says explicitly, he sees and he notices their faith and he says, your faith has healed you. So they come with expectation that they're going to be healed. They come with an idea that this man can do something about this condition. He's different. The presence of God is on him. And they experience healing. Personal and powerful and intimate ways. But yet in Nazareth, they weren't open to that. And I think it's because of the familiarity and the box that they had created for that. I wonder how many people fail to experience miracles of healings of God because they don't fit in their theological boxes. I mean, I was taught that these things didn't happen anymore. Growing, I grew up in the church, and the churches that I went to were like, that was then, but that's not now. That's a lot of rubble to, be, to have to pull away from in order to build a new wall. And I, I would assume I'm not alone in that. And that being told that God doesn't move in those ways creates a deep lack of faith that God will move. Why would I ever expect God to move in a way when I've been told God's not going to move in that way? And so my desire this morning is to begin to remove some of those things or help you to remove some of those things so that we can create an environment where God can begin to move in those ways. And not only are we not surprised by it, but we have an expectation that it's going to happen. We need to be careful not to grow comfortable in our faith and our understanding of who God is or settle for a theology when we can have an experience of God. A lot of times in the West, our faith exists up here, but it's, we don't experience it. And God is a tangible, relational God that wants to be engaging with us, wants to invite us into a process, and oftentimes, and most of the time actually, wants to use us to bring about what God wants to do. But if we don't have even a frame of reference or a theology that's even open to God moving in a certain way, chances are it's not going to happen. But if we as a church have been called to this, then we need to reorient our thinking around these things and come to a more open place. There's a couple of books that I read this week that were really helpful for me, and I'll share some of what I read out of them. The first is by Craig Keener, who's a, who is a New Testament scholar. He wrote a book called Miracles Today. And it's like this thick, and the font is like this big. But he says this, assumptions shape how we approach evidence. A person who already believes in miracles will, will have great, greater faith and receive them more readily than someone who has never personally experienced them. 
And he talks about all kinds of examples. Some people have bad experiences with miracles or people praying over them and nothing happens or praying for people and nothing happens. And that develops a theology. And we carry that theology and we just assume that that's what it is, but that's actually not what the Word of God says. And so this morning, I want to invite us to go back to what the Word of God says. And even for some of us to break through some of that rubble that exists and to create a new wall that's healthy based on the Scriptures and not just based on our our experiences. For he says in there that critics who speak of blind faith can be blind to their own blindness of anti-faith. And I love this line where he says, if you come across counterfeit money, does that make you stop using the real thing? See, what we believe does affect how we understand and perceive what we see. And if Jesus is Lord of the universe and enthroned at the Father's right hand, why wouldn't God want want to heal blind eyes and make lame walk and bring healing and wholeness? I don't think that's outside of what God can do. In a book, uh, Healing Breakthrough by Randy Clark, he actually talks about four major things, more, uh, what he calls unhealthy theologies that keep us from, from being open to the movement um, of God around healing. And I want to share two with you this morning, just because we don't have time to get into all of them. But the first one is this, that sickness is my cross to bear. How many of you have heard that before? Sickness is my cross to bear. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad that a lot of you haven't heard that. You probably have. You just didn't raise your hand. He says this, a lack of belief in healing is that sickness is my cross to bear. People think that God has put an illness on them or, or perceived that their sickness as either something they deserved or something with a cause and effect relationship to their lifestyle. That sickness is God's means to sanctify them. But he goes on to say that there's not one verse in the New Testament that indicates that sickness is a cross to bear for us as believers. There's not one verse in which sickness was seen in any positive way in the Scriptures, in the New Testament. Not one. The only one he comes up with is in, um, there's one in Revelation 2, but we won't get into that. But John chapter 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and it, and it says that God is glorified there, but God is not glorified because Lazarus died. God is glorified because Lazarus was raised from the dead. And there's a major difference between those two things. He goes on to say that there is nothing in the New Testament that suggests that sickness, sickness originates from God. That when you embrace that kind of poor theology surrounding sickness, it is hard to have faith for healing because you believe that God has brought on you whatever the issue is that you are suffering from. That's powerful. And his whole point is this theology has been developed in our culture, but it's not in the scriptures. So if we want to be people of the text, we need to be people of the text and say, let's get our truth from God's word. There's another one that he calls the blueprint worldview. And I think, I, I mean, I'm guilty of, of wrestling with this and, and believing that this can be true. He says every, that everything happens according to God's will and desire. And so if I'm sick, that's God's will and desire for me to be sick. But I can tell you there's many things that happen in this world that's not what God wants. We have reasoned that our sickness and issues are just consequences of being human, and we have to endure them, or we believe God gives them to us for a purpose, so we don't fight against them, lest we are fighting against God. 
This is real, real stuff. And I think because of our humanity and because of the fact that sickness does exist and issues with our bodies do exist, and we have to find ways to justify those things, and so we develop theologies around those things, but those theologies don't come from God's Word. They come from our life experience. And the hard thing is we can't separate our life experience from the Scriptures. You can't read the text outside of your life experience. It's not possible. I wish we could. It'd be a lot healthier to read it in that way. And so we have to wrestle through these things and be aware of them and name them. I want to give you a prime example. The Church of England published a book called The Healing in Christianity a long long time ago in which the pastors were instructed and taught to pray specific ways for people that they went to visit in hospitals and their homes that were sick and were dying and were struggling. And I I want to give you just a sample of this because I think it's just preposterous. But these are official teachings of the church. Two pastors to help equip pastors to deal with how to pray for the sick. Here's, here's the first one. Are you persuaded that your present sickness is sent unto you by Almighty God? Imagine starting with that. Super encouraging, Pastor. Thanks for coming to my house and sharing with me. What else? What, else, what other encouraging words do you have for me? Here's another example. This is, the sickness you have or the issue you have is to correct and amend in you whatever doth offend the eyes of your heavenly Father. So God wants to correct something in you, so he's given you this sickness and this illness to correct it because you need to be straightened out. And then finally, my favorite one is this. All what you suffer is far less than you have deserved to suffer. This is official teaching from the church. These things don't work themselves out of systems easily. And so these have been passed down from generation to generation to generation. I'm sure you've heard some of these things. And again, we we reason these things out. But literally, I just can't even imagine somebody coming to my house and saying, I'm really sorry you're sick, but you deserve the sickness. And God's using this sickness to mold you and shape you. But again, we have to come up with some sort of justification for, for these times in our lives that are really hard. But it's not from the scriptures. And we need to realize that. See, we viewed the lack of healing as God's sovereignty instead of a lack of faith, holiness, and obedience within the church. Many believers have a deistic worldview that healing is not something that is going on or going to happen right now, or certainly not for me. Many people live their lifestyle stuck believing things are just the way they are and we have to tough it out. And it's just not This is just not what the scriptures tell us is true. It's not what Jesus modeled. Nobody came to Jesus who is sick and crippled, and he goes, that's what the Father wants for you. I'm sorry about that. It's going to mold you and shape you into the person you're supposed to be. Good luck with it. No. What does Jesus do? He lays hands on people, and he says, I want to heal you. We see over and over again this compassion that rises up in Jesus. Actually, there's one verse that's very fascinating in Mark, and you don't, you don't get the depth of it unless you go into the Greek, because it's a variant in there, but literally it says that Jesus was angry when a person came and asked for healing. Now, is Jesus angry at the person? Of course not. What's clear in the Greek is that he's angry at the condition the person is in, because he knows the source of what caused the condition and made that person the way they were. And that's what he wants to deal with. And so he heals that person. 
and he removes the affliction and the issue. Here's the irony of everything. When you read through scripture passages where Jesus heals people, healing actually glorifies God. Passage after passage, Jesus lays hands on people, and the direct result is that God is glorified because of it. Doesn't God want to be glorified? Isn't that one of the main purposes of us as human beings is to glorify the Lord? And so healing is a vehicle that glorifies God. Now, I'm also going to stand on this other side of the stage and tell you that sickness and death is, is here and is a part of life. And if you look at Paul, it's clear. He says, hey, this is a part of what it... He, he uses this great image in, in, the, in Corinthians uh, 4 and 5 where he talks about the body. He says, the body breaks down and, and that which is mortal is going to die. But he says, someday when the mortal becomes immortal, we know that the kingdom of God is here. And that Jesus has come back, and there is a new way of functioning, a new way of being. So even Paul, the one who walked around and laid hands on people and saw them healed, recognized each and every one of us is going to die. Unless the Lord comes back, we will die. And each and every one of us will get sick, and something will happen to us. We'll experience hardship and wounds, and we'll have, there's anxiety and fear, and all those things are a part of life. But we don't have to settle for the, for the theology that says that's just the way it is. Because prayer can do something about that. God can heal people. It doesn't mean it's going to happen every time. And I'm telling you, I wish I could stand up here and say, if you pray in this way, every time you pray in this way, you'll get the exact result. I wish that were the case. You know how packed churches would be if that were the case? But there's this element of faith that's required. And it's a lack of faith that exists in Nazareth because of complacency, because their box wasn't big enough to incorporate it, for whatever reason. And the scariest thing is it says there that Jesus saw it, and he didn't do anything else there. Not because he didn't want it to, not because he wasn't capable, but because of a lack of faith It says at the end of verse 6 that he moved on to the next village. Here's my heart's cry for Toledo, Ohio, and for Washington Church. That what Jesus said about Nazareth would not be said of us. That we, because of a lack of faith, that God wouldn't move on in the area of healing. Because if we've been called into this, if this is a part of our vision, We need to press into this, regardless of what it takes. No matter what the rubble is, we got to find a way to remove it. And a lot of it needs to be coming before the Lord and actually spending time in God's Word and looking at doing our own study. What does it say about healing here? Let's take our cues, not from our frustrations or, or just our life experiences, but from actually what God's Word has to say about these things. And my prayer and my desire for us as a community is that faith would rise to an extent that God would be drawn. Because faith is like a kindle and a fire that gets sparked. And once that fire gets sparked, things begin to move. And we've already seen God move here at this church, in this community of faith. We've already seen people experience healing and transformation. And it's been happening for years. We've just seen an accelerated rate of it, but I think God wants to do even more and even greater. But faith plays a role there. And we all have to come together as a community 
Some in Nazareth had faith. It says that Jesus laid hands on a few and they were healed. But the majority didn't. And I know there's enough churches out there that don't believe or don't have faith for healing, and I don't want this place to be one of them. So we're invited into a new way of seeing, a new way of understanding. This is a calling that God's put on us. This is not a suggestion. This is not a maybe or perhaps we should consider this. This is the vision that we've been given. And we believe if this vision came from the Lord, that vision is active. And God wants to manifest that with us. But he has to use us. God's not just going to come and, and, and have his way with us. He's waiting for our hearts to turn, for an openness to be created. And God will step into those spaces and begin to move in the way that only God can. But he's going to use you to do it. And that can feel scary sometimes. The fact that you can lay hands on somebody and that the power of God can flow through you and they can experience healing. And again, healing is a, is a huge variety of things we're talking about. Not just sickness, not just physical healing. Emotional trauma. Mental issues. The list goes on and on. But this is what we're being invited into as a church. Next week we're going to talk about how Jesus goes about healing, specifically looking at several scripture passages and what he physically does, how he speaks, how he lays hands on, because I want to equip us as a church to not be afraid to enter in and do the ministry that Jesus started, that he expects us to pick up and do as he is with us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, this is, this is a hard passage to take in. I know there are some here with, with great faith and openness to healing. One doesn't name their child the one who heals unless they themselves have a great faith in healing. But I also know that there's people who are struggling with it, and rightly so. We've all experienced the other side of that. I'm sure there's nobody here in this room that needs to be convinced that sickness exists, but there are many that need to be convinced that healing is still possible. And we see from your word that it is. Help us to remove the rubble that needs to be removed. Show us how to move forward in this area of healing and to trust, to build a faith in this community that has not been seen ever in the existence of this church. That's what I ask for, Father. And it would begin like a mustard seed. And it would rise from one to two to three people and eventually to hundreds if not thousands and that you would use this space and this community to do a work that transcends this city that even is talked about within the state and even the country and maybe even around the world may you build and develop a faith in us to such an extent and use us in whatever way you want to use us we ask this Jesus in your name. Amen. As we take communion this morning, we're reminded about <clears throat> the fact that healing is possible because Jesus gave his life for us. Isaiah talks about this. By his stripes that we are healed, it says. And this is not just forgiveness of sin. <clears throat> this is healing in every extent of the way. Every measure of the way is made possible by the cross. And so as Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you, and he passed it around, and he said, take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup of the new covenant, 
And he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you get together, whenever you gather as believers, and you partake in this, remember what I did for you. Remember that all things are made possible because of the action that he took for us on our behalf. And even if there are some here this morning that don't have faith in Christ, I want you to know that today you can say yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior and experience forgiveness of sins and new life that is promised to us at the cross. So here at Washington, the table is open. We don't have any regulations. We don't have any stipulations. All are welcome to come and partake and be reminded of what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. So how we're gonna do communion this morning, um, if our servers would come to the tables and just stand and be ready to serve. As you come to the table, and your servers are going to serve to you the body and the blood. And they're going to say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And they're going to serve you. And then because at Washington, we don't believe, it, we believe in the kingdom of priests, that each and every one of you, if you have a relationship with God, are called to be servants and to serve. They're going to hand you the tray and the cup. And then you're going to turn around and you're going to serve communion to the person who comes next after you. And then next after you and next, so, and then you're going to turn around, serve them. You're going to hand them the tray. They're going to serve the person that comes. And we're all going to serve each other this morning because we're all a part of the body and we all have something to offer. And I do this as an image and a reminder that God wants to work through each and every one of us around healing. So in the same way that you receive communion, may you know that the power of God to heal others also is in you if you have a relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.